Um, I was thinking about this week how we kind of almost always deal with tragedy, you know, always dealing with problems, conflict. Um, but, you know, there's a scripture in Romans that's important that I've always been look, looking at. And I'm going to read that today. I'm going to read that into your hearing. I'm really excited about what it means for us. I think sometimes we expect when the Lord is with us that sometimes we expect it to be always feeling like it's good. Like I think sometimes we have that emotion or that kind of backstop that it should f always feel great. It should always be kind of the feeling of goodness with us. And I think sometimes we have to recognize when we got kind of a bit more spiritually mature to realize that it's always not gonna feel good. But the scripture tells us expressly and clearly that it's working for the good. Like we may not be sitting in goodness and good feelings, but it is working for the good. And there's a slight difference in those things. Like you can be in the middle of something that doesn't feel comfortable or useful or helpful or frankly feels destructive, but it's still working for the good. And sometimes we have to sit in these moments that are not feeling good for an awful long time before we realize and look back and think to ourselves, actually, that was for the good. Like sometimes we will go days, weeks, and sometimes even years before we realize it was always working for my good. And I wish when I was back then, I could see with the eyes I have right now and realize that the good, bad things I was going through were leading inevitably to the good things I'm in the middle of right now. So the question is, what do we do in the meantime? What do we do when we are stuck with all the bad things, but we are confident in the good things? The scripture I want to share with you this morning is, speaks expressly to that point that sometimes we have to find out where we are and that it's awful, but God is bringing us to a good place. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I've got a couple of scriptures to share with you. I'm excited about these two scriptures. And frankly, this is the same I get every single week. I'm excited about every single scripture. I'm repeating myself every time I say that, but I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I'm really, really excited about this. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, 24. We're going to start at verse 24. Romans chapter 8 and verse 24. Romans 8 and verse 24. I'm going to read that into your hearing right now. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For, thank you, Jesus. It says in Romans 8, 24, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why did he yet hope for it? I'm, I'll stick there for just for a second. I've got tons to read, but I want to stop there for a second and deal with this idea of hope. I've talked to you about that we can sometimes be sitting in tragedy, but sometimes hope is the only thing we have. Hope is sometimes the only thing. For, and what is the definition of hope? I've wrote down the definition. It says a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. It's a desire and an expectation that something is going to happen. And before we even get to hope, we really have to focus on vision. Like we have to be able to, in our mind, imagine something that's better than whatever we have right now. The scripture has laid the foundation then for what we do whenever we are not in the place we want to be, but are in the place that we're struggling to get out of. Knowing that the Lord will deliver us, 
we have to imagine in our mind, we have to use our vision and our imagination to come up with a scenario that we know is better, and then we have to place our expectation in that vision. That's the vision to hope. Now, we're not going to go here today, but the next step after that is faith. Faith makes the vision and the hope come to pass because it expects you to take steps to get to the thing you're imagining. So we start with vision. The Lord has put some spiritual imagination in our hearts and said, this is where we want to be. We look at that and we have hopeful because we want it. And then we take steps towards it, which is faith. Those steps we take to get closer to our vision, that pushes us to believe in our hope, is our faith. So this scripture is saying it all starts with this idea of hope. Hope is what we need when we are going through. Hope is what we need. Let me go to the next verse. It says, for if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. We are, when we see something in our mind that could come to pass, I don't care whether it's good grades we want at school, a raise, I don't care if it's a better house, I don't care if it's a better car. When we kind of really have the right kind of hope, it lets us kind of squirrel that thought away that this is what I want for my future. And it allows us to kind of sit in a place where if I do plan out these two things, that's the faith acting part right now. They say if I put these two steps together and I do this, I can act on that hope. We bring a future reality into our present storm, right? We imagine the moment when the storm is over. You know that song we sing, the storm is passing over, hallelujah. You're in the middle of the storm, but you're saying hallelujah because you're imagining what the morning is going to look like. You're imagining what it's like when the sun finally shines through and while you're in the storm, you say hallelujah. Everybody around you is confused, but you're thinking of the future promise in the moment you're sitting today. So let's keep going. Let's dig into this a bit more. Uh, So verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience wait for it. And in the prior verse it says you can't hope for what you've got already. If you've already in a good place, there's no sense in hoping for a better one. You're already good. But for us that sometimes sit in this moment of tragedy and concern and problem and worry, sometimes we have to use hope and loan against a future promise to make our present moment feel better. Verse 26, likewise, that is in the same spirit fashion, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Look, I often kind of rushed past this word likewise, in the same way. The spirit helps our infirmities. Why is it saying likewise? Because the spirit works with the same operation as hope. The spirit is helping you with a future remedy even though you're sitting in pain. The the Spirit is speaking into your spirit and saying things will be better than they are right now. It is lending you help by reminding you of hope. Likewise, in the same way, the Spirit helps our infirmities. What do I mean by infirmities? I mean our weaknesses. Our problems, our issues, our concerns, our worries, our troubles, the things that are overwhelming us with concern and worry. 
I don't know about you, but I think about my family all the time and how they're doing, what they're doing. It, are they doing the right kind of thing? Am I giving them the support they need? It is a constant thing that I'm thinking about. And the Spirit, the Scripture says that the Spirit will help with the weakness that I have. That's what it's there for, that it's designed to do. Help me when I'm in the middle of a problem. The Spirit helps my infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. So as the Spirit is speaking for us, we don't even know, frankly, how to pray, how to describe what we are going through. We don't even have the language for it. We don't have the language to describe our own hurt. We don't have the language to describe our own pain. That's why there's an entire industry built up to help you talk through whatever you're going through. Why? Because you don't naturally have the language to describe it. And the Spirit comes in and is able to translate accurately what you're going through to the Eternal Father. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I don't know if you've ever had a conversation with a friend and they've asked you for help, but you kind of realize that the thing they're asking for isn't going to help them. And you have to translate. I don't know if you've had this in an argument with somebody and you're all saying things to each other, but none of the things are connecting. Like you're not describing it correctly. I know you have a problem, but I don't know what you're trying to ask me for. It's almost like you need a translator in the middle of it. Like to help you explain what I'm going through. It's like when I was, when we first were married, me and my wife, I thought my job was to fix problems. That's what I thought my job was. Anything she had, I want to fix it. I didn't realize that when she was talking to me about a problem, she wanted me to join her with fixing the problem, not take it away and try to fix it. I didn't know that's what she wanted. So I was creating more problems than I was solving. We have to learn how to speak to each other and the Holy Spirit sits in our heart and translates our concerns for us. I remember it, there was the incident in 1977. Uh, President Carter went from the United States to Poland to give a speech. And obviously he's speaking in English and the people in Poland are, are translating for him to speak. And he said in the speech, in the middle of the speech, he said, um, this morning I left the United States to come to Poland, which was true. The translator said, this morning the president abandoned the United States to come to Poland. So they're everybody's in the crowd like, what is going on? He abandoned the United States? Is he quitting? Is that what's going on? The translator got one word wrong and was unable to communicate correctly what was necessary. I don't trust myself to communicate and ask for the Lord the right things in prayer anymore. I need the Holy Spirit to help me translate what I'm saying because I think my solution is a new car. That will fix everything. Like if I have, if I just had, if I just gave me two more inches, Lord, I'd have made the NBA, I'd have been a great basketball player, and my life would have been fantastic. That was never the solution, and it was never what the Holy Spirit was trying to communicate for you. The Holy Spirit was saying, Lord, this man needs a bit more patience. Lord, this man needs a better attitude. So rather than relying on what my words were saying, the Holy Spirit came in and looked in my heart and said, this is the translation 
for what he's asking for. So I didn't get the thing I was asking for. I didn't become rich, but I got more patient. Because the translator knew what my intent was, knew what my heart was. We need the right translation for our problems while we're sitting in our concerns. And the Holy Spirit is designed to do that. Let me keep going here. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. We don't know how to pray in the right way. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession, or it goes in between for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered. It has a language that goes beyond language. It has, it has a way of talking for us that we don't even know about how to create a communication for. But the Lord knows how to communicate for us. I'm getting down to my verse, I haven't even got there yet. I'm so excited about this, sorry. Verse 27, he says, verse 27, and he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The spirit is in the heart and it's understanding the real concerns of your heart. Sitting in your heart, that's why it's so essential for the Holy Spirit to be in our lives and in our hearts, not just with us, not just beside us, but in us, indwelling. Right, so that he can translate the desire of the heart. Verse 20, no, 28, which is where I was trying to get to. Sorry, I was a bit excited about the rest. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are, who are called according to his purpose. And we know, this has to be our surety, this has to be our knowledge, that all things are working together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I kind of did a trick on today. I should have started at verse 18. Because I wanted you to understand something. I'm gonna make you go all the way back to verse 18. And it says, this is what the whole instance of this is, is, is dealing with. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time, this is really why he started talking about the Holy Spirit, talking about speaking for you. He talked about this whole thing and he says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. We've got to the verse 28, knowing that all things are working to our good, but he started this with the very real knowledge that there's gonna be suffering. That this moment, this present moment, is filled with problems. <laughs> but if, if you acknowledge the problems, he's giving an antidote to the problems with hope and the nature of the Holy Spirit. That we can use these things to help us get through this present moment. There is a future glory that will be revealed in us and the only remedy for our problems today and hope of getting there is to have hope and to have the Holy Spirit.
I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be revealed, not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. Verse 28, he goes in and says, and we know that all things, even your suffering, are working for your good. It does not have to feel like it's working for your good. It doesn't have to feel like anything but suffering, but it's designed to work for your good. And you're saying, well, how long do I have to suffer this? I'm not even sure that depends on you, really. <laughs> that really depends on you. My situation may be not your situation at all. I'm going to talk to you about another story in a moment where somebody had to deal with their situation for years before they came into, into revelation of God's salvation for their life. Your problem may take weeks, your problem may take hours, your problem may take years, but I'm here to tell you that it's not worthy to be revealed to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in you. I'm here to tell you it's working for your good. <laughs> this is for them that love the Lord. This isn't for everybody. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't even look good, but it's working toward the good. I don't know if you've ever tried working out. I tried picking up my workout regime the other week. I've quit already. <laughs> I've already given up. I'm going to have to give it another start next week. And the hope is, I know it doesn't feel good when I'm working out, but the hope is, that I'll feel good about it a little bit later. I'm putting off comfort for right now. I'm saying I'm not eating past 8 p.m. Actually, I switched it to 9 p.m. <laughs> I said I'm gonna work out when Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. I've worked out one Wednesday. <laughs> because what the hope is, is that I know this doesn't feel good right now, but hopefully later I'll feel way better about this. Like, touching my toes won't be a problem sometimes down the road. Like, I'm hoping I feel better, but I'm willing to suffer a little bit now in the hope of the thing that's in the future. So every time I work out, it's like an act of faith. This is going to be better for me someday. I can only do a 10 push-ups today, but it's going to be 12 next week. It's a gradual process, but I'm sitting in the moment that maybe my 30-year-old self will be back one day, <laughs> right? It's a hope, it's a, it's a moment that I think will be better right now. And so I endure discomfort because I think of the future. You need to lend on your future in today's problems. But there's somebody whose story reflects this so perfectly. Do you remember Joseph in the Bible? There's a wonderful play about him, and hopefully that kind of sits in your spirit. In, in, in Genesis 37, we are introduced to Joseph, and I think his life perfectly reflects this idea of somebody whose life goes sideways, but he never gives up on the hope that is in God. You can see it in his final conclusion. Thank you, Jesus. In, in Genesis 37, Joseph is a 17-year-old shepherd working for his father, Jacob. He's a 17-year-old, 
and his brothers get so jealous of him he has this dream that tells him that his father's going to gift him this beautiful going to get he's the kind of moon and the stars bow down to him his father gives him a beautiful gifts of of coat of many colors and all his brothers are jealous of him it gets to the point they hate him so much that they throw him in a pit and then sell him into slavery and then send him away horrible story right it's terrible and then joseph now is in prison and then he and then sorry no first of all he goes to work for the house of potiphar goes to to work at this man's house and then he's accused of a crime that isn't even true gets thrown into jail he's in jail for years he meets two people who work at the king's house he worked anything the and the cupbearer tells him a dream and joseph interprets the dream for him saying you're going to be free soon right and then what happens the cupbearer goes free leaves joseph forgets him forgets he exists for another two years he's in jail waiting for somebody to speak up for him tragedy upon tra- family rejected sold into slavery thrown into jail we don't the good parts of, of, of joseph's story don't happen until he's 30 years old from 17 years to 30 years he is going through the worst rejected by family separated by family thank you lord is in jail accused and he ends up in the worst place you can possibly imagine himself being in jail thank you lord jesus in the world not today's jails with with amenities and tvs no not that kind of jail the worst kind and so he's sitting in jail suffering and finally the cupbearer remembers there's a guy in jail who interprets dreams and Pharaoh goes and gets him out and so it's 30 years old now he's working for Pharaoh Pharaoh's having these crazy dreams and he realizes Joseph translates these dreams for him and he gives the true account there's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine and so Joseph is made the second in command over all of Egypt now he finally starts to have some uptick but as I was reading the story I realized if it was me I'd still be feeling bad like I got rejected by my family like I I still am separated from my community like that would still hurt right and so if you remember the story accurately when the famine starts so now we must be over 37 years now 37 years old because we must be into the famine when his family finally comes to Joseph for some food so he's older than 37 so now we're 20 years into this entire story and Joseph still isn't whole 20 years into this story and Joseph still isn't whole and what happens he realizes that his family's still alive he gives them opportunity for love and for connection and food let's go to genesis 50 where this story concludes so i need to show you something that i think is really important genesis 50 and let's go to verse 15. so finally they've revealed themselves but his his father still dies and his brothers are scared obviously because they've sold this man into slavery and he's the most powerful man and he has the most He has the most uh, influence, he has the food, he has resources. They need him now. (laughs) 
Genesis 15, Genesis 50 and verse 15 says, and when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. So they're thinking, if he's anything like us, he's going to do to us at least what we did to him. Verse 16, and they sent a messenger unto Joseph saying, thy father did command before he died saying, so shall ye say unto Joseph, forgive I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did the, unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake to him. So basically, they've come to Joseph and they said, look, forgive us. Our father did ask that you forgive us. But look, hey, we're asking you right now to forgive us. And Joseph's response was to cry. Ah, I can feel the heartache in, in the story that he's feeling this moment that all 20 years of the hurt and pain and disappointment are in this moment. And he has options right now and he's crying in front of his brothers. And look at what he says. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Verse 19, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For am I in the place of God? He's basically saying, don't be afraid. I'm not in a place, I'm not God where I can judge you and kill you, right? Verse 19, and Joseph said unto them, fear not for I am in the place, am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good. So, all these horrible things that have been happening to Joseph for 20 years. Yeah, you meant it, and it was horrible, and it wasn't good, and it didn't feel good to be in jail, and it didn't feel good to be falsely accused, and it didn't feel good to be in slavery, and it didn't feel good when they rejected me, it didn't feel good when they forgot me, it didn't feel good when I couldn't get the help from my family who loved me, but, it was always for the good. It was always for the good. It never felt that way. It didn't seem that way, but it was always for the good. Joseph is able to acknowledge in this moment, even though it didn't go my way, it was always for the good. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It was always working for the good. His family was saved because he went through what he went through, but it was always for the good. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's amazing to me that some of the best things that happen start from one, some of the worst situations. Look at the way the Genesis, book of Genesis begins. The book of the Genesis begins um, that there is darkness everywhere, but God said, let there be light. And then after he said, let there be light, what did he say? It is good, but it started in darkness. It started in chaos. It started in a place that wasn't good. Sometimes our story, I don't know if you watch the superhero films, but these origin stories of the superheroes always start with, they're weak, they're rejected, then something happens to them, and it ends up for the good. Captain America was the same way, he was a weakling. 
but something happened to him and it was for the good. Look, our origin stories don't have to be good. It just has to work for the good. You see how every single day started in the, in the creation. God created something that was nothing before. He said, created the sea and it was good. Created the land, it was good. Created the firmament, good. It starts off with nothing. It starts off with chaos, but then it ends up being So chapter one of Genesis starts and things are going terrible. The Lord puts himself into the picture and it's good. <laughs> but that's not how the story, I don't want you to end with thinking that that's how Joseph's story ends. Look at how the story of Joseph really ends. That could have been when, G when he said to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You got rid of me yet, but I think God put me in this position for the good. Look, the people who are against you really are against you. I'm not telling you the good people, that bad people doing things to you right now are good people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the Lord is going to use your situation for good. I'm not saying your enemies aren't fake, aren't real enemies. I'm not saying they're fake. I'm saying the Lord's going to take their intent and make it for good. Look at what happens though in verse 22. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived how long? So he's in his 40s and he gets his family back. You see what I'm saying? It started off terrible, but he got his family back. It started off bad, but he finally gets his family back. Look at, look at how they show this. Verse 23, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machia, the son of Manasseh, were brought up on Joseph's knee. All this separation from his family is over. He's now seeing grandchildren <laughs> raised up on his knee. It started off in chapter 37 bad. Verse 50, it's good. <laughs> Genesis starts with it's void, it's dark, and God says, let there be light, and the light is Let the Lord speak into our lives. And it, yes, it's bad, but when I believe when he speaks, it will turn the bad into the good. Let me go all the way back. <laughs> let me go all the way back to the founding scripture we started. Thank you, Jesus. Romans 8, verse 28, and we know I don't care how it starts, and I don't care how dark it is. I don't care what condition it is in right now. I don't care if you're praying for your family like I am, for your spouse like I am, for your work like I am, for, for help with the concern and worry I have. I know that all these things are working for the good, that the Lord is gonna speak into my life and that thing that was darkness will be light. That thing that had no life will have life. That thing that was chaos will bring order. <laughs> that thing that started out in rejection from my family will, start, will end with rejoicing with my family. The thing that started with slavery will end up with me being the head and not the tail. That thing that started with me being rejected even in jail will have me being in the place where I can help everybody with freedom. May the Lord add a blessing.
to the reading of this word. In the name of the Lord Jesus.